Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of the Elevate Your Leadership podcast is brought to you in part by iFly Virginia Beach Indoor Skydiving. At iFly Virginia Beach, we bring people together through the dream of flight. Visit our website at iFlyVABeach.com to learn more about our group events to include leadership development, team building, and family fun. Welcome to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast series with U.S. Navy Special Operations veteran, CEO, and hockey fanatic, Bob Pazzini. Bob discusses leadership, success, failure, defining moments, and hard lessons learned with guests who are intentional in their approach to leadership. Leadership is a perishable skill. Use it or lose it. In this series, entrepreneurs, industry executives, academics, public figures, and other highly effective professionals share their formulas for success with you. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Elevate Your Leadership podcast with me, your host, Bob Pizzini. I hope you've listened to my podcast in the past, and if you have, you know that I love to have discussions with guests who not only bring great value to me and my organization, but these are people who I know are going to bring great value to you and your organization. I've talked to Navy SEALs. I've talked to multi-million dollar business owners. I've talked to entrepreneurs just starting up, private equity people, airline pilots, you name it. And today, I have to say is a first because my guest is Dr. Allison Tendler, a board-certified ophthalmologist, just as a point of entry, but she is doing so many other things with her life that I know we're going to have a great discussion. I'm going to go ahead and read uh, Dr. Tendler's bio real quick, and then we're going to jump right into it. Dr. Allison R. Tendler, you notice that Allison R. Tendler, A-R-T, that's a theme that she's developed. Dr. Allison R. Tendler is a board-certified ophthalmologist and the owner and creator of Art, Vision, and Artisan Skin and Laser Center in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. She is an eye surgeon specializing in cataract and vision correction procedures, and Allison also operates Artisan, providing the latest technologies and treatments, including laser, facial, injectable options for healthier, more youthful skin. Her mission is to help patients look and feel their best. Whether she is speaking with a patient, leading her team, networking at community events, hosting a guest on her podcast, which I've been a guest, or speaking in front of a large audience, Allison is devoted and inspired to helping others see with clarity and feel confident about their lives and their image. She believes that when you see the world better, you see yourself better. Allison grew up in Clear Lake and Sioux Falls in South Dakota and is proud to call South Dakota home. Allison Tendler, welcome to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. Oh, fabulous to be here, Bob. Very, very honored. Yeah, so we were just talking kind of before we hit record about the weather forecast in South Dakota. You are home where you grew up, but I hope the next two days, uh, you know, you don't get clobbered with too much snow. 
It's a forced being home. They say we're going to get hit hard. I'm still waiting for that actually to happen. Okay. All right. So because you're home in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, do you drive past your childhood home? Do you see the same place, your school you went to? Is all that stuff the same? Oh, funny. No. Um, so I grew up in a really small town in South Dakota until uh, I was 10. And then I moved to Sioux Falls, which is the big town, um, which continues to you know, gain some notoriety uh, over the last several years with its growth and some of its um, leadership business um, adventures that it has. So Sioux Falls itself is really becoming an amazing city, which I shouldn't say on the air because I like it how it is. And I don't, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, I don't want that to change. Uh, no. So I am uh, right now, I go to work, I come home, I go to work, come home, we leave on the weekends to sometimes go to the lake or or whatnot. And so uh, I have driven by my home once, God, it's probably been 10 years ago since I drove by my childhood home and rarely get back to the high school that, that I was at too. So you'd think it's like, oh, it's a small town you drive. I'm like, and I don't. You kind of yeah. become this little thing in your own little world from your day to day. The reason I asked about do you drive past your childhood home and your high school and all that is because just for me, it's so different. I left my hometown when I was 18 years old and joined the Navy and I don't get back very often. So when I do, you know, it's this reminiscent drive past the, the elementary school, the high school, the house I grew up in, you know, and some other sites. So now, when I uh, once in a while venture back to the small town where I grew up, um, that's where my dad's family was from. Uh, I definitely do do that at that time. I always felt like I don't know why that I was a child until I was 10 and we moved and then I became an official adult after that. Wow. Um, it's just like your your mental state changed and how I thought about the world changed um, at that. Wow. Point. Just from so, that geographic relocation. Wow. And, and I think the, the reasons behind it, my parents divorced, we moved to a new town, we had to have all new friends, new activities. And so there was just this definite chapter ending and new, new chapter beginning. And I really take that, um, uh, when I was a child, it was like that. It was the best place to be a kid. It was like the the free, naive, fun out in the country, um, playing in the fields with the cows, picking you know, whatever we did. It was just so freeing. I didn't really know some of the realities of, of <laughs> the world. And then and then when we moved, I mean, I think reality kind of even at ten kind of hit you that life was a little different. You know, and one of the reasons I asked that question is because it just really helps. I've noticed when I talk to people, uh, and this is something that we do in the military, everybody in the military does, we say, where are you from? Because it helps you understand who the person is. Yes. And, and it's really cool. In view of what you just said, how did that upbringing kind of influence you, you know, to become the Allison that you are today, you know, school wise? And how did you pick ophthalmology? You know, how did how did all that happen in your all early of, All of that, you know, that transference. I was always, um, you know, as a kid, and I still am, I'm, I'm super curious. I love to learn. Um, I was one of those kids who, you know, type A, I loved doing well at school. I wanted to <laughs> achieve. Um, I had an older sister. I always wanted to be better than she was. I wanted to try nice. to do better than she did um, in, in, you know, in her past at my age. And uh, so I was just, I've always been driven. I've always been driven and I don't, I don't understand why I don't, I don't know where that comes from, but I've always been driven to do more, to do better, to be my best self. Um, so 
knowing that, I was like, yes, your stereotypical, like, great student. Um, you know, the one that the teachers probably really enjoyed at that time. Yet, yeah. yeah, I, I was I, the I, opposite. You know, like, hey, I raised my hand. I didn't talk when I wasn't supposed to. I followed the rules. I, I was yeah. a pretty good rule follower, which is funny because sometimes in life now, I'm like, ooh, I'm not so good at following the rules. Yeah, but, it's good not to follow them all the time. I don't you follow know? them all the time, but in school, I was very good at that. So it's like, and then, you know, through my parents' divorce and watching my mom uh, pretty much raise my sister and I as a single parent, seeing her struggle um, financially, um, knowing what that meant on us. You know, we went from this kind of idyllic childhood to living in a very, very small um, duplex in a new town, knowing that we, you know, we were some of the, you know, we always had love, we had enough, but there were definitely, you know, monetarily things we didn't have and we were never gonna have. And, and so I grew up with that. It's like, if I want something, I'm gonna have to work to get it. Um, I'm going to have to work hard to make it happen. And I've always felt like with that hard work, um, you can do what you want. You can make it happen. I was always great at math, science, all that kind of stuff. Um, loved loved music as well. Um, but the math science has kind of naturally led me into the, the biology, chemistry, medical field. And what, what drove me was being able to do something that I felt like... Um, truthfully, if I ever had to be on my own, like my mom was in that situation, and um, with kids or, or not, I always wanted to be able to take care of myself and I never wanted to have to rely on somebody else. And I knew I could do it. You know, I knew I could make that happen. And so that, that really drove me to find a profession that I felt would fit with skill set, um, what I wanted out of life and uh, what I wanted to achieve and accomplish. But still, that, that drives me to be that, that independent um, person. So how did ophthalmology, you could have been a medical doctor, you know, you could have specialized in a hundred different things. I, you could I, have, yeah. you could have been a NASA astronaut, uh, you know, I mean, all those options. Why ophthalmology? There's so many things in my world. I, I truly feel, I, I listen a lot to my intuition. I listen a lot to my gut. Although you read things like, oh, you shouldn't do that because you're biased against this and you're biased against that. But I feel that listening to that gut of mine has guided me well, whether I've known or really understood why it was kind of pushing me that way or not. So ophthalmology, medical school in general, I, I wanted to go to medical school, but what I didn't want was the kind of confines of what I thought traditional medicine was. Traditional medicine, as far as I knew, was um, working a lot of hours, you know, didn't get to go to sleep, didn't get to see your family, didn't get to have a whole lot of fun. I mean, that didn't sound really appealing to me. You Although know? you would be driving a Porsche or some fancy <laughs> car, you know. I wanted to go into medicine. <laughs> and so um, so that, 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 that kind of hindered me a little bit. Um, just, like, do I really want this for my life? Once I made the decision, yes, then it was, yes, well, what do I want to do with it? And visiting with somebody who um, had to decide, had decided to go into subspecialty, another female, and she's like, hey, Allison, you know, here's a couple subspecialties where I think you can have what you're looking for. You can be who you want to be, live the life that you want to on your terms, still, you know, be in the profession you want, yet it doesn't require um, so many of those things that you don't necessarily that don't fit you in in your life and I knew I knew me well enough to know that um, and so she actually mentioned ophthalmology and honestly the moment she mentioned it I really never looked back I knew nothing about ophthalmology we don't learn about ophthalmology in medical school so you didn't have a lot of 
we didn't have a lot of um, exposure, but it just, it drove me. And if you're going to go into ophthalmology, you needed to do well. You needed to study hard. You needed to do well in your test. So it, it, again, it was like, you you go. And there's there's several subspecialties where I feel like, I, I'm believe me now, medical students these days, they're all like brilliant. Um, I don't know how I would have gotten to medical school <laughs> like 20 years ago if I had to go up against the kids that are there today. Um, but at that time, you know, you were like, you still had to be the best of the best in order to get into these really high subspecialty uh, areas. And so that drove me again. And thank the Lord, once I actually got into the ophthalmologist's office and finally saw a cataract and saw the retina for the first time, we talk about beauty and art, like retina is one of the most beautiful things you could look at and it wow. grabs you. And you're like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. So, so. I, I never looked back. Um, luckily, uh, I say God guided me. I got into ophthalmology, and and here I am. <laughs> Where did you go to school for ophthalmology? So we um, uh, to be in ophthalmology, you have to go to medical school first. So medical school for four years, um, ophthalmology University of Minnesota. I was all rearing to try to get out of the Midwest for a little bit of time, and I ended up about four hours away in, yeah. in Minneapolis, which was awesome. I yeah. love Minneapolis, and I still do to this day. Okay. Um, Great, great training. And then I did a fellowship um, in kind of the eye. It's not that big, right? And then we subspecialize in these teeny, teeny little tiny areas of the eye. So I really work in like the first four millimeters of the eye. <laughs> I don't work in that much. Um, and um, so I did a fellowship in in that. So working in cornea, we did transplants. I learned refractive surgery. We did a lot of cataracts, did uh, a lot of those uh, kind okay. of fine do do things. Do you do the uh, the PRK or the uh, LASIK? Yes, I absolutely do. So I know that you've had you had PRK, and um, you were one of the early you know people to have it. And PRK has been around for several decades, and um, and refractive surgery and the whole concept of it continues to just you know take off from what we had thought of with traditional refractive surgery. So it's still a super fun area and to be able to do a procedure like PRK or LASIK or you know even removing a cataract and putting in a lens to help people gain their vision back it is empowering and it is an endorphin boost. <laughs> Probably like you in a plane, right? Uh, like yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's an endorphin boost. So Oh, that's cool. Really so cool. it literally energizes you to yeah. Does that endorphin hit you during the procedure or when the patient comes back and says, my God, Dr. Tendler, I can see better than I ever have? You know, when does it hit you? That's a really good question. And I had a medical student in with me today, actually, for the half a day I was in clinic and uh, due to the weather, um, I said, you know, so we saw a post-op. And I went in with him and and we saw this post up. He's like, wow, that's got to be really, you know, gratifying. I'm like, it is. It's a huge endorphin boost to see somebody do so well. And I'm like, interestingly, I don't think about it having to do anything with me. I'm so excited. Like, yes, I helped them achieve that. But they, number one, allowed me to do it. Number two, like they, like I got to do this for them and I just want them to be happy. I want them to be living their best life. I want them to look at me and like say, I am so happy that I did this because I'm hoping it changes their world. And that's that's what's really exciting, so. So to totally exciting. You know, having had that procedure done back in 2001, just incredibly exciting. Talking about leadership and professionalism and all these things, do you ever like have a patient scheduled for the day and you wake up in the morning and you go, I'm just not feeling it today. I'm going to have to reschedule this surgery. 
Um, another good question. I don't think I've ever thought that. I, um, from like, hey, I don't feel it today because my job is to be prepared for that day. For sure, yeah. My job is to make that decision before that day. And sure. I, I tell patients all the time as well and, and clients, it's like all, you know, sometimes they'll come in for their surgery day. And I'm like, oh, we're going to start your journey. And I stop myself and say, no, wait a minute. We haven't, we're not just starting your journey. We've already started your journey. For it's sure. one of the culminations of it today that we actually can manifest in this, you know, we're, we're doing this procedure day, but we've been working hard for weeks ahead of time, trying to get ready for this day with all the preparation, exams, data, um, scheduling, all the things that we need to do. This exactly. is a combination of that, of that peak or that glacier that's happening. That's, you know, that's exactly right. In my business, I, I have the point of entry for my business, I Fly Virginia Beach Indoor Skydiving, is when our customer service advisor either answers the phone or you walk through the front door. In any case, your experience with us begins right then and there. And it's that's on your website. It, it yeah, starts, that's it right. There or look at your Instagram accounts. Yeah, that's right. And we're setting the tone for their experience. So so I tell my customer service team, you know, that that journey begins with you. You're mm -hmm. gonna set the tone. And then the the lifelong memory, the lasting experience is the flight experience. You know, when people go in and fly with family members or or they just, you know, that dream of flight, which is what we what we do here. Um, that's a lasting memory. But everybody on the team plays such a critical role, and I reinforce that all the time. And I'm sure you do too. We we talk about that a lot too. That I, you know, we need to get people to call. We need to get people to connect and come in. And if they don't have a good experience there, they're not feeling the confidence level at that time. How are they going to feel the whole way through? I might be the fifth person they've talked to within my business. I everything else has had to flow before that. I, you know, when I finally get to visit with a patient, hopefully we've set the stage well, and now we're just making the decision on a plan. Yeah. Um, and then that's just the plan. Then we still have to go through all these other steps in order to actually have the final procedure happen. And then sometimes we're still not done after that. So I do, yeah. tell you, it is a journey and I want to go on it with you and I'm willing to go on it with you. Um, but you have to view it that way that we're in sure. this together. Now that is really cool. This, you know what, there, we're going to go a little longer today than I normally do because there's so many cool things to discuss here. And, and one of them is, you know, when I had my, PRK back in 2001, I remember the eye surgeon saying to me, it just in, in that discussion, in that getting to know each other, I asked him if he had the procedure and he said that he was a candidate for it, but he wasn't going to do it. He, he is so dedicated to his patients, even though there's a 0.001% chance or whatever the number is that something could go wrong. He said he wasn't going to put himself through the procedure because he didn't want to jeopardize his ability to deliver the to top deliver quality care. product yeah, to his patients. So do you have any thoughts or experience there? I tend to think a little bit differently. So in my world, whether I'm doing, you know, um, of course I can't do all the surgical things I do to myself, but, yeah. um, but yeah. on the aesthetic You're in the side, mirror going, hey. yeah, yeah I, just, I just can't do my own surgery. It's just not possible. But on the aesthetic side, um, uh, you know, my my feeling there is anything that I can do that to be done to myself, I want to experience whatever I can that my 
patients or my clients might experience because that gives me that better understanding, that better empathy, and might help me set up processes better to make a better experience for that person or my team. So, um, but on the, the frame of refractive surgery, there are certain things we don't need and there are certain things we like, hey, medically, I just don't need that. Um, I have had refractive surgery. I decided not to do laser, which is what most people think of when they think of refractive surgery. LASIK um, is always top uh, consumer mindset. Um, and there's PRK. I actually had implantable contact lenses. They're called ICLs. Wow. Um, mice. So I even did something a little It's like military more. stuff there, ICL. That's what, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I did something that was actually a little bit more risky, but I felt best for me as a patient overall. Um, I'm, I'm a purist when it comes to some things. So if I don't have to alter a body in a certain way to get a result, maybe maybe there's a different way to do it. And so that's my, that's my, my feeling on that. And I think that... I do feel a lot of refractive surgeons don't think like your surgeon did. I feel like if they are candidates, why not enjoy the freedom and the functionality of your life? Freedom and functionality. It is real. I am telling you folks at home, this was the second best decision I've ever made. First one was terminating my first marriage story for another day, but <laughs> side to side. Yeah. <laughs> but this, this, for me, it is a game changer, a life changer, just incredibly unbelievable. Okay. So you go to university of Minnesota, you go back to South Dakota to establish your practice. You're doing ophthalmology and tell me if I'm going off track here. Okay. And then at some point you appear in 2008 in these Restasis commercials on TV. And I still remember, and I remember seeing you in those commercials and going, what is this all about? How did that happen? Well, it was truly the first, uh, you know, nowadays you see all of these uh, direct-to-consumer commercials, like all the commercials on TV are about drugs, right? Um, oh, yeah. It truly right. was one of the first direct-to-consumer um, commercials in a different way to um, uh, to talk about the, the world of, you know, the, the pharmacy world out there. Um, but what they wanted and what they were looking for was um, they did a talent call with their um, their reps, their drug reps that are all across the country, of course. Ah, okay. And, and this was the first drug of its kind for that indication for dry eye um, ocular surface disease. And ocular surface disease, we had nothing to treat it with. It's like poo-pooed. It's like can't do anything, can't do anything. And it impacts people's lives like you would not believe. So I do have a big, if you want to get me on a, on a box, I'll go speak about dry eye and ocular services. Sure, sure. But, but at the same time, so they were looking for somebody who, of course, was passionate about it, who dealt with it with their patients, and also, interestingly, who had it themselves. So again, using that self-awareness, it's like, hey, I have this myself, which I do. I've been treating myself for it for, well, since probably 2005, 2006. Okay. Um, and they were particularly looking for a female, and they really wanted, you know, an MD or an ophthalmologist. So those were their, those were their parameters that they were looking for. Okay. Kind of out, blue out eyes? Did they specify blue eyes? <laughs> uh, they're actually green, so. Oh, was it, sorry, was it, were they green then? Yeah, they're all green. They're, okay. So they're, they're, that's an interesting sidebar, too. I've got very intriguing eyes. At least that's what I'm told. So one, my rep, who I'd known since residency, is like, hey, Allison, you should try this. You should, can I put your name in? And I'm like, uh, sure. <laughs> I guess so. Cool. And um, they had a two-man film crew who came to my location in because usually if you're going to do a commercial show, you have to travel wherever they are at their uh -huh. time, 
frames, you know, all those kind of things, which is why I haven't probably done another one since. But um, they came, they taped, and uh, and they I didn't, came to your office. They, they did all that. Office in, oh, that's in cool. South Dakota. Yeah. And videotaped. Um, uh, and I I knew enough that I'd, I'd done some commercial reading in the past, and I knew enough that okay, I better try to have this sucker at least memorized and have read through this and have prepared um, as much as I can to try to do the best I can. Many, many, many months later, she calls me back. She's like, that, uh, you know, you read for that commercial a while back. And she's like, you got it. Wow. <laughs> she's like, they picked you. So it was, it was, and I had no idea what that meant. I really, yeah, yeah. I had no clue, but, but that's the okay. story. All right. Well, you know, we're entrepreneurs here. So hopefully a nice check showed up in the mail after uh, after they ran it. Well, I so I did, I, you know, after um, a couple years, I was part of, you know, got I was part of SAG, the Screen Actors Guild. And uh, so I still am to this day um, because of the time um, that um, that ran and the number of, of takes. So that's that's kind of a fun little anecdote. That is cool. Yeah. So there's a 2008. I was looking at this on on YouTube. I remember this from, you know, whatever I was doing in my life back in 2008. I remember those commercials and, you know, I had the PRK, my wife had LASIK, so and she had dry eye. So we were customers, if you will, just because of that. But there's like, what, three or four or five editions or versions of that commercial? Yeah, we filmed three different times. So they did three different um, variations um, yeah. for Aristasis. So and those were usually two years apart. So okay. Okay, yeah. cool. And then Screen Actors Guild. So like Tom Cruise, did he call you up and say, hey, I'm making this Top Gun 2? <laughs> you know, I, what's your schedule look like? I didn't. I was, I was really disappointed by yeah. that. Could have been a good stand-in for like Kelly McGillis or something like that. But, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, it just, it, just, it just didn't happen. I just, here's what I think. I think he just doesn't know. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's just a missed out. So. Yeah. And that could lead to another, another patient, you know? So what it sounds like you just having fun in your adult life and we haven't even talked about all the travel you're doing. Yeah. And, uh, but I know that you like to travel. We talked about that a little bit as well. Uh, yeah. you've been to India a few times and, uh, what, so you've been to India twice. Yeah. Why the second time you, you've been there the first time, been there, done that, saw it. Well, been there, saw it. Um, so let me go back to my, you know, I think an interesting thing might be my why of why I went to India the first time. Um, my So my mom had passed away um, my so right before my sophomore year of college. Uh, so I was 19. Mm. Um, and I felt like, um, and it's still, again, this guides me as well in how I see and view the world of you got to do some things, you know, like you want to yeah. do them, make a plan, make it happen and just do it. Don't wait 10 years, whatever. Don't wait because you never know that you might not get to. So do it. Um, and I'd never been out of the country um, before, um, rarely been out of South Dakota, you know, going to Lincoln, Nebraska was a big, a big thing. Way to go. <laughs> um, when, when we were what? kids or Minneapolis. And so, um, I happened to see, again, it's kind of intuition. I happened to see something on my, uh, university kind of cork board. And I looked at all these places across the world that I could go to for a student learning program. And uh, I was going to graduate early from college. And I'm like, I want to go to India. I want to go to the most unique place that I could possibly think of. There was no email. The internet was barely there at that time. Um, so I chose India to go do that. Spent three months there um, doing a student 
learning program, um, mostly in Calcutta, so based in northern. Uh, so me medical studies still. So I knew I wanted to go to medical school. I'd applied and uh, wasn't sure, you know, again, you just don't know if you're going to get in. But this was definitely based around medical, um, you know, medical needs of children over in the Calcutta region. And so it was it was education, but it was also us providing service um, and doing volunteer work over there. Ah. That was kind of the the nightest for me to go over and spend spend time. So we, you know, as a college student with, uh, you know, I made I paid my way through college. I did I did all that. You're traveling, you're doing things, and you're saving your little rupees over there. Yeah, your rupees. And so I promised. So that I knew that at that moment, though, I'd come back someday. I wanted to come back, but I was going to come back as a different place, a different person, quote unquote, and at a different place in my life where I could see that world a little differently and maybe experience it on a little different level than at the college level. Okay. All right. That's, that, so, that's so, very, so, so the next time I brought my husband over and yeah, we, we did a whole bunch of different things, but okay. I didn't, I did not show him Calcutta. Something in me just didn't want to go back there and they call it Calcutta now. I believe they don't call it Calcutta anymore. Uh. Um, but anyway, Tomato, tomato. Super, super interesting. In Australia, it's a tomato, by the way. I've been to Australia. <laughs> That's awesome. So they really don't say it wrong. There are two ways to say it. Um, there's still only one way to say wash, though. It's not wash. It is wash. Yeah, totally so agree. I, I, can't, I can't do that. So anyway, um, India started my travel bug. India is where it all began. And I compare still a lot of the places I've been. Um, some, some other places for volunteer work, too, have been like, well, it's not as bad as India. Yeah, it was it was a struggle that first step of how we were immersed it was great, but it was tough. Yeah, right, right. Did you develop a knack for Indian food or a taste, I should say, for Indian food? Oh, amen. I mean, yeah. so I came back and I was just you couldn't find that in South Dakota. Yeah. Um, you know, having something that wasn't like breaded and fried was rare, you know, to, to yeah. come back yeah. and try to find something. So yeah. I love Indian food. I still do to this day. And now it's like, no, it needs to be like really authentic. <laughs> no, I hear you. So my wife and I, we love going to, there's a couple of really good Indian restaurants here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And, uh, you know, so we love going to them. I'll tell you what though, when I lived in Washington state, I went, we went to an Indian restaurant and they asked, this is like my first or second, maybe third time at, at an, at an Indian restaurant in the U S and they said, how hot, how spicy would you like it? And I said, Oh, as hot as you can make it, you know? That's not the right thing to say. So. Well, you never know. It's just like Mexican restaurants. You say you want something spicy and it comes back like mild. Bland. Yeah. And so each Indian restaurant is different. And each time I order at the same Indian restaurant, the spice level is different depending upon who's making it that. Yeah, time. yeah. And what, whatever whatever his or her mood is. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. No, so travel is a big thing. Let's, let's jump back real quick. You mentioned, uh, you know, you put yourself through school. So did you have... Uh, jobs in high school and college? How did you do that? Um, well, I always, I always had a job. Um, number one, I needed to make money. Um, uh, you know, there were certain things if I never wanted to ask my mom for more than what was just the necessities. So yeah. if I wanted anything else, so if I wanted anything else, I knew that was going to be on me. I just felt bad asking her. Sure. Felt, what were I some of the jobs you did? Hey, um, I worked at a clothing store one. So I always worked from like March till the beginning of school. So like March to September. 
Um, I worked at a clothing store. I worked at, I was a waitress um, or a server for a summer. That's a, I would be a much better server today than I was yeah. <laughs> by far. Number one, I can open a bottle of wine. Number two, um, you just can manage people a little bit better and have yeah. that, that confidence level. I'd be a yeah. much better server. So maybe I, that's going to be another career. I'd do that. Um, for fun. Uh, for fun. Um, oh, I worked at a, a little bakery in a in a grocery store. Um, okay. So you know what a you know what a Kringle is then, right? We I do know what a Kringle is, but we really don't. You know, those these little stores here don't have those. But I do know what a Kringle is. Yeah, it's a Midwestern thing. It's like I grew up in Kenosha, Wisconsin, Racine, Wisconsin, and is it Scandinavian, Norwegian? It is. Uh, yeah. That yeah, that's the origin. But somebody if was. I were to, if I would have been at a true like little hometown bakery, amen, they would have had something yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah, where I grew up, somebody we were having Kringle and coffee at somebody's house every weekend. It was pretty cool. So uh, let's kind of move into entrepreneurship a little bit. But awesome. before we do that, though, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Allison is a good capitalist, just like I am, and just like all of you out there. So we will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are back. I'm talking to Dr. Allison Tendler, board certified ophthalmologist, business owner, entrepreneur. And let's talk about your entrepreneurial journey so far. So at some point you decided to leave the, I don't know if a medical group that you were with and step out on your own. I mean, how did that come to be? There's been a lot of hard things in life and, you know, hard little, I'll say chapters in life. And that was definitely a hard one. Um, there was, there's nothing easy about leaving a partner or a partnership, no matter what that means, whether that's personal or professional. Um, and no matter how hard it or how much it may need to happen, it's still a hard, uh, road to decide to make that decision to do, and then to undergo and finally kind of, you know, traverse that and get to the other side. Um, having done both of those, um, too. Well, first of all, I've worked in so many different, just being in Sioux Falls, I, I've worked for a, um, a health system. Um, so I've worked as an employee for a, a large health system with the same partner that I had been with. We went out on our own, um, grew that uh, group. And so that was, you know, learning experience for entrepreneurship. But even then, I had a really hard concept of what that meant, what might be required of me. Um, and you had people to do a lot of things for you. Mm-hmm. So in the hospital level, people did all this stuff. You saw what you made, you saw what you got to take home and you were, that was about it. Yeah. Although you knew that, Hey, I want to hire this person or we need to hire two more staff people that ultimately came out of your overhead. So that concept and the um, semblance of cost of goods within your clinic walls made sense. Going into, into private practice, there's still a lot of things that were done for you. And my job was to, my job was to see patients. My job was to see patients and do this and, and move forward um, uh, clinically, yet um, still learning along the way. We learned a lot about uh, marketing. You learned a lot more about, we started running our own surgery center. So you, you start to, by osmosis, um, you really start to pick up a lot. 
I don't feel like I had it like, ooh, I always wanted to own my own business or I always thought I'd be an entrepreneur um, and especially never thought I'd be a solo business owner um, now that yeah. that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, a solopreneur. Um, yeah. Yet it's been rewarding in, you know, still working on the financial rewards, but I'm going to say it's been rewarding and challenging and a growth. It's just been such sure. a growth spurt for me that I'm like, oh, Maybe I'm better at this than I thought I would be. I'm like, I'm going to suck at this. It's going to be no good. Um, like, I don't know that I should do this. I should just, maybe I should just call it quits now. Because um, I was, I was scared. I was scared to do that. How long um, ago did you, did you take that giant step? It has been, it'll be four years this summer. So okay. Okay. I was going to say, so, you know, Malcolm Gladwell and mastery, right? Five years or uh, 10,000 hours to, to master whatever the the skill is, so you're four years into it, right? So you're you're still, still having trying gone, to master. Yeah, no, exactly. And I'm I'm in the same situation with kind of where I'm at. You know, I did a 26 year military career. Uh, who knows if I ever mastered that? And then I'm now 12 years in the private sector, but I fly Virginia Beach. You know, we we were steady state, doing great uh, by our fifth year, no problem. Everybody, I have 40 people on the team. Everybody knew what they were doing. Then I transitioned into writing a book and doing coaching and doing leadership development and having these things, you know, these podcasts, I'm like almost maybe two and a half years into the podcast. So there's a, there's a, you know, a mentorship and a process we go through to learn. So you're four years into it. You pretty much told us how it's going. So where, where do you want to go? Cause you've got med spa and, and some other things. Yeah, so what, yeah. yeah. So what are your, what are your business goals there? So uh, two components of my business, so all under one umbrella per se, but I've got two different um, classes of business that I have. I've got my true medical eye side, um, so that deals still with a lot of insurance, um, it, just a different different kind of marketing uh, patient population base that you're going after as well as working oh, yeah, with, right. working with um, primary care optometrists that are taking care of a lot of those patients as well. So this, it's a little different beast. And then we've got, if I could just be like all of one thing or all elective or you have to deal with all these, these, you know, magnitude of things. Yay. That'd be great. But I also might get bored. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then I've got my um, my skin and laser side, so truly elective, where we, we get to kind of really let the creative juices flow. Um, I tell people that what we get to do is I've got a whole bunch of different tools um, and paints and paintbrushes in my office. And it's my job, even though I'm using science to dictate what I want to do for you and with you as a client or a patient, whether it's your vision or your skin, it's like I'm trying to choose the right paint and paintbrush to make that happen for you as you are the canvas. And wow. so- Wow, okay. Yeah, you, you are like the canvas that I get to work to help you know, we, we talk about either we're going to help create something, we're going to maintain something, or we're going to restore something. So it's all the ah. artwork to we're restoring, we're maintaining, or we've got to create it in the first That's, place. We have this affinity with things in groups of three, but I love that. Create, maintain, or restore. Mm -hmm. From how I look at both sides, there may be very different. It's like you're doing eye surgery and you're playing, you know, having fun creating these awesome things for people's skin. But they really do mesh in how I see my why and my world together. You know, truly, yes, literally and figuratively, you can see the world better. But when I work on the eyes, they do. They it changes. It rocks their world. Then they start to change how they yeah. feel about themselves. They feel empowered. Um, and then on the skin side, it's the same thing. It, it's all about that empowerment. It's it's truly, 
people want to walk out it's like yeah i want my lines to go away but what happens when you do that are you you make their skin glow it's like they feel more empowered they're happier being on zoom they're happier being in front of their audience they're happier when they're running that meeting or being in front of their team because they're more confident about who they are and i just had a little part in that but it's really cool so from the leadership perspective right because i mean would would we call this cosmetic surgery or cosmetics you know generically is that a correct way to overall term it is it is you know cosmetics and part of my surgical side i do do a lot of elective surgery as well so it is cosmetic surgery some of the on the eye side though it's like is it is it cosmetic or is it functional yeah right well i i would say to have it um and is insurance going to cover it or is it is it like I want to have it um, because I want it for me? You know, and both of those I think are valid, reasonable. They it's, are. Yeah, yeah. That's it's the human being being a human being. And it's but I tell I, people too. It's like it's okay to yeah. do something for yourself. I'm I'm yeah. gonna make you. I want to, you to be your best self. I'm not gonna make you someone you're not. But yeah. like, like you just want you to. It's okay to say yeah. yes. Uh, a couple things there. One is. Does insurance pay for, they probably don't pay for the cosmetic stuff, but do, will insurance pay for uh, corrective eye procedures like, uh, like uh, you know, no. PRK and LASIK? No, they won't. Um, uh, you know, coming from the military world, that's a little different because I think everybody, you know, that is active duty can, they. Now, can, yeah, yeah. Now. I was, I was one of the test so, patients, but, but so now. Awesome. So, so for our listeners to everybody who's active duty actually has the opportunity to have um, refractive surgery uh, for no cost throughout, through the military. Um, so they get to do a lot of things that we don't necessarily get to do and, and do a lot more of certain things because we can't on the private sector necessarily make that happen for yeah. patients. Um, but. But it is truly, um, it, it is not covered by insurance, um, which, you know, it's like you've got glasses, you've got contact lenses, you've got those kind of things that that some of those um, eye care insurances yeah. will take care of. Um, uh, but it is, it's, that is still looked at as cosmetic. And sure. it's still looked at like, you have the option to do this and to see well, but you want to do this. And yeah. it's like, that's okay. Live it, do it, and don't look back. Yeah. So, I'll tell you what though, and, and this is my this is my life's experience. This is my experience since I had the procedure. I'm more confident as a leader. I'm more confident as a team player. And I'm more efficient because I don't have to say, hang on, where's my glasses? Let me clean my glasses. Let me take my glasses off for this. Let me find my glasses. My glasses broke. My contacts are bugging me. I got to go get contact solution. You know, I slept with them in their three-day contacts. I've had them in for three months. You know, well, which is, kind of- you know, they, they talk a little bit about um, or there's been this push lately, like, hey, LASIK has all these, you know, potential bad things about it and all these risks. And, and it's like, OK, but on the scope of things, number one, I don't feel that, that that is true. If you're having a good surgery done properly and not in and taking care of the patient before and with ocular surface. Sure. And the data, the data is there. Data is there. That is there. Like you take your situation, I slept in my contacts for three months. Those people are at so much risk from a health standpoint for yeah. infections and ulcers, and they're setting themselves up for like this nastiness. Yeah. Like, let's let's not have that happen. Let's get that refractive surgery for you. Move on. It, in the long run, it's a cost savings. It just Amen. is. And oh, why yeah. wouldn't why yeah. wouldn't insurance pay for that? You're reducing health risk. You're you're reducing overall long term uh, eye care. You would think that insurance companies would uh, would see that. 
There's, um, you know, you could say that on other realms too for things from a true medical standpoint of, let's say, uh, hearing aids. Like, let's go there. Like, we don't have any other option to hear sometimes in those kind of things. So it's like, I, I just don't understand that. Yeah. We don't have an option. So. Yeah. We're going to jump into business. Well, okay, let me continue this thread. As the leader of an organization, I can tell you I'm a better leader because my vision is I'm, I'm 2015 and I have been since the surgery, although crazy thing happened this past week. I'll tell you about in a second. I can't um, wait to hear that. So, but because my vision is so good, I present better because I can see my audience. I get that visual feedback. I can see clearly and I, I have much greater confidence and I'm much more efficient. And I think from a leadership perspective, do you have business leaders, CEOs, you know, who's your typical patient? I would say there is no typical patient. My typical patient is anybody who's finally ready to say, I want to live life differently. I want to see life differently because I want to function in my life differently. Yeah. Making a choice, almost like you're going to make a choice to like, I'm going to lose 20 pounds or I'm going to go, I'm going to make this a priority for myself because I value what it's going to bring to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. if there's value in it for somebody, like it, it, once they do it, like they probably don't even think about cost again because like, wow, exactly. day over and day over again to have this freedom and functionality. I had a patient in recently who I do a lot for reading vision as well. So like I have some, I love that reading vision population because um, that's a struggle bus too. And we, and we all, 100% of us will have reading vision issues. So it's just, yeah, yeah. it will happen. There's um, truly me. Um, it's just getting worse day by day. Um, and she was like, She's like, I feel, I feel so young. I feel free. I feel like, she's like, I couldn't even lay on the couch with my glasses and watch TV because they'd alter and they'd bump. I mean, the basic things we do every exactly. day. And I tell people like, what else in your life can you wake up and use every single moment of your waking hours than your vision? Like you are like, you get to use this gift you've given yourself every minute of the yeah. day. So my, mine was 2001. This is 23. So that's what, 20, 21 years, 22 years yeah. ago. And every day, it's literally, like you said, every single day I wake up and I say, man, I'm so glad I did that every day. Isn't that, that's incredible. You know, just from a marketing perspective, CEOs, leaders, see clearly lead with greater clarity. You know, they're, Hey, I'm on your marketing team now, you know, lead, lead your organization with greater clarity. I'm all about mental, uh, mental clarity and high energy. You know, that's kind of when I coach and, and when I, when I speak, those are really my main points in leadership. So let me tell you real quick. I did, um, a hyperbaric oxygen treatment recently. Are you familiar with that? I am. Mm-hmm. Cool. So uh, because my veteran, because I'm a veteran and some of these uh, less than conventional, although I would say hyperbaric oxygen has become conventional, but yeah. these things are available. So, you know, Can I ask uh, what you did it for. Yeah, exactly. So primarily TBI, which in my case, I have the mildest form. Um, and, and I say that just because I've have, I have teammates who have severe TBI, mm -hmm. but in my case, mild TBI, which leads to sleep disturbances primarily just about everybody who has TBI. One of the first symptoms to present is sleep disturbances. And then those can be 
minor to moderate to severe, right? And those lead to all these other things. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. So, but then also my knee out of nowhere just decided to explode. So I had this terrible knee thing going on. And then I had this back surgery a bunch of years ago. And, and so I've got this lower back issue. TBI primarily, but I was keeping my fingers crossed for some back relief and some knee relief. So my knee, I went from like using a cane to 95% resolution in four days, four treatments. Each treatment is you, you pressurize the chamber to 33 feet equivalent of seawater. And you put this hood on and you breathe hundred percent oxygen for an hour. So that pain in my knee was relieved in four days. I was sleeping great in four days. I, I don't ever remember in my whole life, except maybe when I was, you know, or, you know, teenager sleeping so good. It's, it's the, that sleep where you wake up and you go, oh, I'm not getting up or I don't want to get up. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm really into the sleep. So, so those were the improvements. But here's the weird thing. My 2015 far vision, yeah. it deteriorated almost to the point to where I need glasses to drive. My reading vision, which I always have to wear, you know, I've got to wear reading glasses. Yeah. I don't need these anymore. Okay. Is that odd? Well, I think that, I mean, number one, I think it is odd. I can say that, you know, that's odd that your correction would have shifted, you know, like that. Now they say it's temporary. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to know why is it temporary? Was it from like your cornea? Is it from your lens? What was it that made it temporary? Because I, I know what happened to your correction. I, 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 I grasp all that because um, now you don't need your glasses. So you became a little more myopic, et cetera, et cetera. But um, but the interesting thing is like, did it impact your lens? How did it do that? Is it going to come? Like, that's really intriguing. Yeah. So, they, and what so they keep me posted because I inquiring minds want to know on that. Uh, for sure. I'll let you know <laughs> what they say is like six weeks after treatment ends. And I had my last treatment yesterday, 40, 40 treatments in total. They say six weeks later, your vision reverts to whatever it was. That's but exactly I, was. that's fascinating. Well, the, the hyperbaric, you know, I, I've done a lot of reading on like aging. Um, how do we slow our aging? process or improve our, our health systems totally so that the, that's one of those things they talk about yeah. however they say access for most of us normal people um <laughs> like we, we just we don't have the access to it yeah. so that's pretty awesome that you got to experience that yeah yeah I'm, I, I'm blessed i'm lucky as a veteran i have all these things available to me back to the business side of things you are four years into running your own what do you call the the eye practice an ophthalmology practice or so, yeah a surgical eye practice Okay, a surgical eye ophthalmology practice. is is what it is, but for lay, you know, kind of layman's, I would just say surgical eye. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Surgeries on the eye. And then, how long have you been doing the um, aesthetic side? Yeah. Um, so that um, I've actually been doing for about ten years. So I brought oh, wow. that over. I started that when I was in my um, prior partnership, and then I was ah. able to bring that with me. Okay. Um, uh, so I was able to continue that as had been. They're they're both very interesting. I didn't honestly think that the eye side would be as hard as me, having been a member of this community for 16, 17 years now performing eye surgeries. Interesting that segment of the business would be for me. I thought that would be the easier side. Yeah. Um, it's actually been a little bit. It, it's been. Uh, intriguing and challenging. Um, and I love solving puzzles. So I, I consider it a puzzle to be solved. Oh, yeah, yeah. Business, and business it, is a puzzle. <laughs> always, so, so if you look at life as a puzzle, I mean, every problem, challenge, situation, it's like, okay, it's a puzzle. How do I 
pull in my resources? How do I find the right tools and the right people in order to help me try to get through and work through this puzzle? That's cool. When uh, one of the other veteran programs I went to, they, they through art, you know, there was treatment through art. They had us paint these masks, these faces. And boy, you, some of the things that people, you know, that they put on these things. But on mine, on the outside, I put the planet, basically. And on the inside, I put a puzzle. And the puzzle was like partially complete you know so uh, never so. never fully never fully completes and then the moment you complete it someone just hands you another puzzle for some reason yeah. 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 <laughs> for some reason just another puzzle magically appears so yeah exactly <laughs> there's gonna be that how many employees do you have right now Currently we, have, uh, so currently we have 14 because I'm all under one roof, um, even though I class them out separately, um, I'm able to use some combo um, yeah. ways like like phones and front desk um, managers. Um, so we're able to combo those a little. I work in both sides as well. So um, and then I do feel there is some crossover in patients, clients between my two segments. So we try to um, okay. make sure that there's uh, that. I've got an in-office OR suite. So we actually do our surgeries right in um right in oh our, that's cool in a, in a sterile environment everything so it's a very boutique small i'd say one-on-one -on -one, um we're not going for the 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 gerbil wheel type of practice i'm yeah. going for those connections i'm going for that relationship um i want people i want to feel connected to my patients and i want them to feel that way with me too Okay, so then no other no other surgeons, uh, you're just you. At this time, no. And you asked about future plans. I don't, you know, there's a certain level that I feel like I want to get to first before that would be even needed or necessary. And then I question, okay, but do you want that anyway? Do you, you yeah. know, where, where do you, where do you yeah. want that? Yeah. Um, so I do, we, you know, we meet, um, this didn't start off immediately, but one of the, the best things, and I'm sure you have this too, um, you know, finally hiring like a business coach, some yeah. people to help us like, like, okay, I, I don't know much about business or how to run it. Thank God I had hired somebody on like two weeks right before COVID started. Ah, um, okay. So during that, I was able to get some, you know, some help, guidance, advice through that kind of difficult, I say difficult time, um, but I think it made me a better business owner and a better leader yeah. because it actually showed me um, a lot of flaws and a lot of weak points that we had and gave me okay. a little bit of time to set some of those. So I, I look at I look at it as kind of a win yeah. um, for who I was as a leader. Um, and what my business was doing. And you know, in, in, you know, aviation or whether it's the Navy, like you just be your one degree off, all of a sudden you're gonna end up with this big divide. And That's I right. felt like my business had just moved like a couple degrees different than where I wanted it to be. So it allowed me to kind of just take and try to move the ship back in the line it needed to be. And two of my other podcast episodes, both of them happen to be with Navy SEALs, uh, retired Navy SEALs. But that that's exactly what they talk about. You know, you let the if the team is one or two degrees off, you know, it, but if that goes on for too long, then it has that that effect. Uh, anyway, just really, really good discussions overall. Uh, yeah. So on, on a business level, as well as a as a um, as an employee level, um, that's been one of the the also a learning lesson of yeah. who is really needed on that team who's supposed to be on your team and if those people are bringing the ship off that degree level it's like how do you correct them or how do you need to let them go yeah yeah that's exactly right and you know the book i've got on display behind me elevate your leadership which i believe you read 
Um, I did. Yeah. It's a great read. Oh, thank you so much. But those are those are the things that I address, and I address them, you know, not based on some Harvard graduate program, you know, classroom based. I address them based on my life's experiences, basically. And you know, you're going through the same thing right now. So, well, Allison, what haven't I asked you, or what would you like to share with our guests that um, that we haven't talked about yet? That's a interesting and somewhat of a you're trying to turn the questions on me, aren't you? <laughs> sneaky, very, very sneaky. Um, it, I think one of my philosophies, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the reason behind art and how I, I think it's interesting to hear like a physician or someone in the business world look at look at things as art. Um, and look at that creativity um, factor that my clients and my patients are also like, they are art, they are pieces of art. They are, they're not always works of art, but you know, that they, yeah. they are works of art. <laughs> and I want them to respect themselves um, as well as, as trying to be the best, you know, best piece of art sure. that they have been. The creativity yeah. side, I, you know, um, I think we as business leaders, um, and uh, entrepreneurs, there's a creativity there that I don't think I ever knew that I had. And so I would encourage whether people are just starting that journey, um, find that, find that that creative flair that makes you like passionate. Like marketing is one of those. I'm like, this is actually really a creative, like this is a creative <laughs> thing. I enjoy it. I enjoy the brainstorming. I enjoy trying to come up with little things. Although I'm sure it drives the marketing people nuts. But yeah, um, but it's it's, it's like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. So finding within you those things that even you didn't know that you had, that you possess, that you, and then that makes you more curious about this and you want to read this book and you want to do that and you want to go to this meeting and and just that that constant growth and curiosity that I, I feel like makes um, for, a, for a great leader. I think during COVID as well, one other thing I'd point out um, on the on that side was I, because I was such a new leader within my business, um, I didn't know a lot of things. And like to be able to be asked questions and to have that confidence to say like, I am not sure of what the answer is. Or, yeah. Yeah, have yeah. that humbleness to say like, I don't know. Um, and, but I want to know and I want to know for you. So let's work to figure that out. Also transferring it to your employees once in a while to say, that's a really good question. I'm going to let you go work on that. Yeah, you know? for sure. And for come sure. back to me. And so that those have been some growth points as a, you know, just simple points as a leader and yeah. an entrepreneur that I feel have come about in me in these last sure. few years that I feel much more confident in saying that, doing that. Um, for sure. For sure. You know, and in the other part, and again, this is my friend Ryan Crowley, retired Navy SEAL, in his podcast, when we talked about this, he said, you know, you don't always get it right. Leaders don't. Is that wine you're drinking, by the way? Let me just. Uh, you know. <laughs> well, we started before five. It's actually water. <laughs> yeah. OK. All right. I love I mean, these guys can't see me, but I love my water out of a wine glass. So in my own office, um, water tastes better out of a wine glass. So if you don't believe me, do I love it. That. Um, it, it's like, I'm not a big water drinker, but you make me like, I drink water out of a wine glass and I just love it. <laughs> it's just like, cool. this tastes really good. Have you ever done those glass tasting things? Glass? Like, like wine glass tasting? I have not. I mean, I've done wine tasting. You have different 
wine glasses and you taste the wine out of these different glasses. Ah, I've never done that. Immediately. Um, so <clears throat> the same uh, wine out of a different glass. Oh, amen. So like if you're on the airplane and they pour you wine in a little plastic cup, like just don't drink it. It's not worth it unless you just drink <laughs> alcohol. Um, if they give you one of those big old thick water glasses to pour, it's going to taste terrible. So anyway, getting back to the water, water really does taste different out of different vessels too. I'm so. going to try that tonight. And you sure. feel kind of special to be holding a wine glass and drinking water, you know? Yeah, yeah. Little... And you could be lying to us. It could be wine in there. No, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> I, I see the bubbles. So it, it's, it's, there, it's there were it's bubbles. Prosecco. Yes, Prosecco. <laughs> yeah. I guess it could be Prosecco, but. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, Allison, super fun discussion. And I would like to uh, let everybody at home know if you enjoy this discussion that I'm having, that we're having, please visit my YouTube channel, Elevate Your Leadership on YouTube. And you're going to find several other discussions. You're going to find little two-minute shorts and all these other little nuggets of gold, uh, many of which I'm going to pull out of our discussion and post to YouTube as well. So, and then how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, oh, personally, professionally, however you want people to contact you. Well, here's my cell phone. No, I'm just kidding. Um, my email, allison.tendler at artvision sf.com so art vision sioux falls or art vision sf.com okay. um, easy to find on the website as well i've got instagram linkedin all of those types of things so um linkedin okay. is allison r tendler instagram allison r tendler md so not too difficult to find or one of my businesses will pop up as well and so um okay. um we we'd love to hear from anybody so good and, and myself personally and if you reach out maybe you'll get my cell phone number <laughs> okay all right so you're out there in the social media world like like most of us are yeah. do you get patients who travel great distances once in a while um i do have some patients you know here in sioux falls a lot of people winter um and i'll actually have patients who will come back for certain post-ops um, to come back this way, or they've got friends or family located um, where they are further south, um, uh, and they'll come back this way. They're like, hey, I want them to see you. Um, I've had a few people from the, more the, the regional area, your Colorados, your Minnesotas, Wisconsin's. Yeah. Um, I've got some fun clients who actually come in from Michigan, so that's kind of fun. So, yeah. Pure Michigan. And, and honestly, Sioux, like, they come here, either they've got some family or friends here, or Sioux Falls is a fun place to spend, you know, a few days as well. Yeah. Um, a lot of art scene going on. There's lots some great dining places. Um, so there's enough to do. Um, we also do things digitally. So we'll do some virtual consults to try to manage things so that patients can, like, we get most of it done. We need to do a certain few things here, of course. Um, and then some things can actually be managed um, post-op in their own hometowns um, okay. where okay. they're located too. So let's okay. say you're going to come to me, you know, someday when you can't stand your reading vision and it, like, yeah, I, we can arrange all that. It's always, always doable. Okay. All right. So visit Sioux Falls, South Dakota uh, while you're receiving some type of uh, procedure from Dr. Allison Tendler. I think that uh, sounds like a fun trip. All right. Hey, thank you so much for coming on the Elevate Your Leadership oh, podcast, it's Allison. It's been so fun. You are a joy. Uh, it's just been a blast to to spend some time with you. Still can't wait to get to Virginia Beach. Uh, I, we can't I wait to have, have fun. You. Yeah, yeah. You're going to have a blast. And that young daughter, you know, she she will. She's she the will flyer. Have... I told you she'd be the flyer. Yeah, she'll have the time of her life. All right, Allison, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Have a good night. We'll see you. Bye.
Thank you for listening to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. To contact Bob directly or to learn more about how Bob can advance you and your organization through leadership training, team building, executive coaching, and public speaking, visit robertpizzini.com. Robert, P-I-Z-Z-I-N-I.com and connect with him on LinkedIn.